All right. All right, everybody. Welcome to the Springs. So glad y'all are here today. If this is your first time here, I am John Almquist, and I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here at the Springs. We are so excited you're here. If it seems like I might fall off the stage because I stand up here a lot, don't worry about it. Hey, I just want y'all to feel comfortable, so I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do today. I'm going to start off with a great story, and about 20 minutes in, you're going to think, are we getting to the Bible today? Did I come to church, or is this like storytelling seminar? No, don't worry, we'll get there. It's going to be great. I may say something that you've thought, I've never heard that at church before. Is that a word we can use? Don't worry about it. It's going to be great. It's going to be... I'm glad y'all are in a good mood this morning. Because usually my humor, sometimes it goes over, sometimes it doesn't. But this is great so far. Um, I want you to know about my daughter, Lily. Uh, she will probably be a key part and a major illustration today. So I just want to give you a heads up on that. That actually is true today. Uh, and uh, really, before we get started, I just, if you have a faith, I just want you to take 10 seconds, pray for yourself, your heart, and then take 10 seconds, pray for me if you would, and just, oh, you know what? I'm from, I'm from Atlanta, so a lot of you don't know this. You don't know my extended family. I actually have a twin brother named Jim Onquist. Can you tell right now who's who, Jim or John? Strangely handsome. I have right? a tag that says Pastoral Elder Jay Almquist, so now you know who's the real deal. But Jim, since you're here today... Yes, yes, I'm here. I want you to run with this. Wow, that's a lot of trust. That's how the Holy Give Spirit it over works. Him, man. You never know. I had something prepared, but we're just going to yield to this guy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Uh... If you don't get that joke, it means it's your first time. If you want to come back, just keep hanging out with us. But man, so glad you guys are here. I'm going to pray and we're going to get started. Father, we thank you for this morning, man. I thank you for the laughter. I thank you for the privilege of friendship and getting to come and be in a place where because we love you, it's this taste of what one day it'll be like. And one day what it'll be like is we will come, we will, we will sing worship, we will glory at you, and we will laugh with one another. There will be real joy, real friendship. I thank you for that gift. God, I'm asking that you would do today what only you can do, and that's changed lives. And that's why, Father, as you know, we, we come, and every single one of us, if, if we're here and we believe in you, we are asking your help to move us closer into a relationship with you. We are asking your help for people who are here who are wrestling with faith in general. If they believe in you, if you're kind, if you're good, if you're really worth it, if you're actually better at all, you change their hearts the same way you once changed mine. So guys, wherever you are in your faith, if you would, take 10 seconds. Pray that God would use this time in your life. If y'all would, Please take another 10 seconds and pray for me. Pray that I would be useful to the master and helpful. Lord, we love you. We give you this time. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Man, I really do love laughing and joking about that. Where that is, is that's Jonathan Dennis. He's on staff here at the Springs. He's the, the pastor that oversees connecting, so getting connected to the church. And then community. The reason he was dressed up like that is this past week, we did something, kind of like a fun little thing just to staff, a way to enjoy a little culture. We did a Halloween costume contest. Who here dressed up for Halloween in some way? All right, there's like 12 of us. Great, this is gonna work out really well, right? Well, we as staff, we all came together and I like to act like everybody wanted to, but it's kind of like a mandatory thing where you had to come and dress up in a costume. And one of the things that we do is pretty much everything, there's a good heart in it, or so I say, there's a competition to it, right? So you had to come and have the best costume, be the best dressed, and winner, winner got something good, and loser, it's not good for them, but good for everyone else, right? So there's this competition. I want to show you what the, what the spring staff was dressed up as on Thursday. Walk through some of the stuff with you guys. 
right? So this is us. This is standing here. On the far right side, that's Garrison. He came as the chef from Sesame Street, right? Or uh, Muppets, thank you. Didn't really ever watch either one of them, right? But he came as the chef. I'm the strange thing just off to his shoulder moving towards the center. It's an inside joke about a staff member here, Leslie. We call her a pastoral ninja. I'm a pastoral ninja. The middle, that's our friend Dan Cowan. Any, any folks here who love The Office? Right? It's a safe place. You can admit it. Right? It's cool. I know you watch it. Right? He came as a Dundee Award. And then to that, you have Jonathan, who his, the costume, it wasn't the best. Like his was the lowest hanging fruit. He bought like a Trump wig and trimmed it down. I didn't think I had Trump hair. Supposedly I have Trump hair, right? He trimmed it down. He came in. He made fun of my outfit, my word choices, all this stuff. And guys, it was absolutely hysterical. There was this one moment he FaceTimed my daughter. Like Lily came in. She said, hi, daddy to him. It was like betraying to me. It was heartbreaking, right? But he just knocked it out of the park with his performance. And then you continue on. That's MK. She's our children's pastor. She's Hermione Granger. And then beyond that, that's Leslie. Leslie dressed up as Gamora. If you've seen the Marvel movies, she plays this like Christ figure in one, right? But all that to say is, I think Leslie... She could go to, if you know what Comic-Con is, she would like win at Comic-Con. Like, it's amazing. So we sat there and we all thought, okay, who did the best? Because what we're doing there is we're absolutely evaluating. There was no real framework for, okay, whose costume cost the most or took the most time or was the funniest. There was no real framework for how we were going to evaluate it. But it was just this internal struggle of, hey, which one's better? Like, which one's better? The whole thing was an evaluation. Like, which one's better? Who's best? Who's worst? right, where the popular vote would generally go to in the center is either Dan is a Dundee Award, right, or Leslie because of their effort. But Jonathan, man, when he came in and he started, it was hilarious. He won us all just by the sense of kind of hit the performance, if you will. So he ended up winning it. And then our two friends, and, and we'll celebrate with you guys some of the ways that they're going to get to demonstrate the privilege it is to lose a game like this in the future. But then Garrison and MK, they were voted bottom of the pack so they will have the privilege of creating a year's calendar for us as staff of some of the different opportunities and the privilege that it is to dress up and demonstrate to where every time we get to a new month, we just get to look at their faces. But the whole thing was set up on who's better, who's best. Like we, we had lunch together at Krause's to laugh. We're asking the server, we're asking people in Krause's, hey, which one do you think the best? Which one do you think is better? And we're like innately evaluating the whole thing. The reason there is it was fun. There was like this sense of competition to it. But I think so much of us, just people in general, we are constantly innately valuing, innately comparing, right? Like we benchmark ourselves against others. We benchmark one thing is better than another. It's the reason why you read Amazon reviews. Or like you go to search Amazon, you filter by just four stars and up. You're trying to find what's better, what's best. And we do this in every area. Let me give you some examples. Crunchy or creamy peanut butter? Oh yeah, this one gal, she's just looking at me like dead stare, like creamy, mm-hmm. See, I'm all about crunchy, if not extra crunchy. Another one, this will connect with some. Ford or Chevy? Okay, see how we're, we're divided, right? You come and see some of these... Uh, my favorite one is waffle pancake. Basically same batter, different format. Waffle pancake. You can come, pizza. Oh, I love that. Some people are just passionate about this. But we all have things where we just say this is better than that. Like there's this inherent value of this is better than that. Here, here's another one. Guacamole versus queso. Trick question. Get both. Seriously, there's a restaurant over here. You can get queso, like happy hour for a dollar. Get both, but we just innately value one thing is better than the other. The reason that's true in you and that's true in me is because we just have that within us. The, the, the reason why I start there, though, is you're going to see today, like, like through Scripture, how there's this, this writer, there's this teacher, this man by the name of the Apostle Paul. He's going to take what's true in you and what's true in me, our innate desire to figure out, hey, what's better? Our constant drive to walk around and assess and create values of I like this more than I like that. He's going to take that and he's going to flip it on its head. Where he's going to remind me and he's going to remind you 
is there's this truth how we come and we're constantly looking to find what's better in life. And he's going to point us to something where he's just going to say there's one thing that's better, ultimately better. You could argue ultimately best. It's Jesus. Right? Where he's going to spend this entire time of where we're going to be as we, we just look at his teaching, you look at this reading. He's going to spend this entire time reminding us of this theme. It's a theme you've probably heard. It's a theme we sang about just before. Jesus is better. Right? And if you're like me, and perhaps maybe you grew up in church, you've been walking with Christ for a while, you hear Jesus is better. And here's what kind of happens. If you're a believer, you kind of hear that, you're like, oh yeah, I know that. Of course. Make my heart believe. You know? Right? Especially if you've known Christ for a long time, you, you know what the right biblical answer is. But let me ask y'all sincerely, like, do we really believe that? How many of us came in this morning, and if you did, it's great. We're so glad you're here. How many of us came in this morning where the last time you really had a thoughtful connection with God was a week ago at a Sunday service here or somewhere else? And then the most present time where you've come and you fought to remind yourself about the goodness of God and how he is better, it's here. How many of us this past week in the midst of the busyness and the hustle back and forth, prepping with school, with kids, with Halloween, with work, whatever it is, had the moment of sincere reflection of, despite all of this, he's better. How many of us, like if we were to come and I were to ask you, hey man, come join for a tea time, right? We'll go tomorrow, 6.45, Saturday, 6.45 in the morning. Can you come join? It'd be, man, I'd love to make a tea time. But then as we look back at our week, there was no thoughtfulness in perhaps waking up early to connect with God. No thoughtfulness in setting aside time throughout the day, not even in the morning, to connect with God. The reason I share all this is we, is we talk about how we're constantly evaluating things. We're constantly trying to figure out what's better. Many of us, we know we're supposed to say Jesus is better. We know we're supposed to say that. Yet in reality, in actuality, in how we live, man, make my heart believe. And if you're here and, and you don't believe in God, here's what I imagine. You don't think he's better. And I would honor that. I would respect that. And here's what Paul's going to do. He's going to show you and he's going to show me that in every category of life, in, in how we imagine ourselves to have a relationship with God? And then how is people who have a relationship with God, that every comparison, Jesus, he really is, it's not fake, it's always true, he's better. We're gonna see this by continuing essentially what's part two of a talk where we've been working through Philippians chapter three, verses one through 11. Most specifically though, we're gonna look at verses seven through 11 today, where the first part we're gonna talk about is actually a difference in accounting the value of good accounting. The second thing we're gonna address, right, is the surpassing worth of Christ. The worth of Christ surpassing. To kind of remind you guys kind of where we were last week if you weren't here, Paul, as he kind of sets this up, he's building this argument. He's addressing these group of people called the Judaizers that were coming and they were combining something. They were saying that in order to have a relationship with God, you had to believe, but then you had to behave. You had to have faith, but you had to have works. And they're coming and they're stacking on top of what you and I need to do in order to have a relationship with God, to earn our way to heaven. And what we saw last week is Paul, he came and he said, what that's called doing is it's putting confidence in the flesh. We use the language, it's believing in yourself. It's believing that if you were better, it's believing that if you could just try harder, it's believing that if you could just get to the better version of yourself, then you could finally have that relationship with God you always wanted. And Paul, he talks about how he tried harder than anybody. He did more than anybody. He had more confidence for more self-righteousness than anybody. Yet it was all meaningless. It's worthless. And what we'll see today is it wasn't just worthless. It was rubbish. It was waste. And we're gonna see that as we really fight for. Like imagine, like if you're here, if you and I, we actually left here believing he's better. 
like he's better. And even though I can't always see it, I'm going to act by faith and I'm going to trust that he's going to show up. He's better if this group of people grew in an appreciation, grew in a love for that. We'll change this community. Not, not in, as we've been saying, self-righteousness, look at us, but because of sincere righteousness, look at Christ. Jesus is better. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read 1 through 11 to give us context again. But then we're going to start and pick it up in verses 7, and we'll go 7 through 9, and we'll work our way through. So if you have a Bible, you can turn with me. And if there's a way to, I should have grabbed this. Would someone mind grabbing me? Not anyone here. Volunteer, just a water or something like that. I was laughing so hard at Jonathan, my throat's kind of cut up. Uh, oh, hey. Thanks, Stacy. Y'all mind giving Stacy a round of applause? <laughs> Stacy, like, runs this place, man. He really does. Well, hey, while I take a sip of water, if you have a Bible, turn with me. We're going to look in chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. My brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. That's Paul putting confidence in the flesh. He's using this mocking, sarcastic language to show them. You and I, we cannot earn a relationship with God. You worship by faith, not your work. It's how you get to know him. And then verse seven and on. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So knowing that context, I'm going to reread 7 through 9, because that's where I want to start us off. Verse 7, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Guys, as, as we look to see this recurring theme throughout this, this, this absolute anthem that Jesus is better, the first thing that we have to do is understand the value of good accounting. The value of good accounting. And specifically why I start with accounting is Paul is going to use language here He's going to use business acumen. He's going to use Greek accounting terms to try and demonstrate how you and I were constantly evaluating. We're constantly looking at things to consider what's gain, what's loss. And he's going to show us how our accounting, it's often backwards. So starting there in verse 7, he says, hey, but whatever gain I had gained, it's the word for profit. It's literally, if, if you're an accountant, you would know this, or maybe you've studied it or anything like that. There's T-charts, debits, credits. It's, it's the profit column. It's what's in the black, what's not in the red. It's surplus. It's not deficit. He's saying whatever gain that I had, and he's referencing back to every form of self-righteousness, every bit of his attempt to be a better version, to earn his way to God, to not sin. He says, whatever I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Counted, your Bible, it may say considered, Lost there, it literally means negative, deficit, what he considered profit. He came to see was deficit. And why? It's for the sake of Christ. If you missed last week, I'd really encourage you to go back and listen to it. Paul's reviewing, he's reminding where he was before. 
He's saying, because of Christ, every time that I try to earn my way to have a relationship with God, I once thought that's what I was supposed to do, right? And there's many faiths where you can come in this world today and they'll say, hey, believe plus do X and Y and Z. And Paul, last week, he showed us how he taught those things and he was better at those things. But he came to realize it was nothing. It was for loss. The only gain he had was for the sake of Christ. It's talking about having a relationship with God. He's talking about this view that, and I know, man, if, you're, if you grew up in church, you've heard this, you probably like check out on this, but it's the truth because every other world religion is a component of faith plus works, works plus enlightenment, works plus um, recurring regeneration and reincarnation of a next life. Works plus stoicism, works plus minimalism, works plus self-deprecation, self-poverty. And he's saying, I once thought that was valuable. I once thought that was how you have a relationship with God. And he's reminding you and he's reminding me there's no way, there's one way you can have a relationship with God. You believe that he's true. You believe he created everything and that he loves you. But you and I, we, we choose to go our own way. We come to him and say, no, 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 I'll take parts of you, right? Or I won't take any of you, and I can do it on my own. That's declaring independence from God. The Bible would call that sin. He's holy and he's perfect. So he can't be connected to sin. So what happens? There's a separation. And then our question, us, trying to figure out the problem, how does mankind get to God, is how do we work our way back? And God in heaven, he doesn't want you to do that. There's no amount that you can slave your way back to the king. That's why he sent his son. That's why Easter matters so much to Christians. It's because we celebrate the perfect son of God coming, living this perfect life and dying a death on the cross for all of my brokenness, my past, my present, my future, and all of yours too. That's why as Christians, it's amazing even knowing that because not only is this how you have a relationship with him, but it speaks to what it means to have a relationship with him. Loved, forgiven, cherished, made righteous. That's how you do that. So the first thing he says that's worthless, that's bad accounting, is when we try to earn our way to God. And then, and then he goes on, and I love this, the next verse there. He says, I count everything as loss. What Paul's taking into consideration here is how to have a relationship with God, but then he's also taking everything in this world. He's coming up against everything, and he's saying, when I compare you with Jesus, all of you are left lacking. All of it is not enough. I count everything. That's why Christians, by the way, one of the reasons we should have healthier and more effective marriages is because we don't try to make our spouse a god. So many marriages are broken because we come and we need our spouse to be everything. We need our spouse to be what completes us. Jerry Maguire ruined it. The only one who can come and do that for you is Christ. When you realize that he's better, that's where the satisfaction comes. That's what makes the difference between stewarding singleness well and just hoping and praying that you could get married because then you'll reach like varsity level of life. Foolishness, unbiblical. It's the same reason why you can be a student in high school and get after it apart from knowing and developing and maturing in all these ways, because God wants to use you then just as he could later in life. Everything is lost when we compare it. Why? Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. One of the things that I love there, it's speaking to when I put Christ in view, he's surpassing. You could translate immeasurable, incomparable, it's different accounting. It's a different view. That's why Paul says, I've suffered the loss of all things. We could list everything that Paul had been through. He's speaking to that, but he's also speaking the reality of, in order to one, have a relationship with God, and in order two, to grow in my relationship with God, I count it all as loss, man. You can have the best that this world has to offer. I'm going to take Jesus and he counts it. He even uses language. He, he doubles down on not just loss, but he's going to go one level below and he's going to call it rubbish. Right? If you don't know what rubbish is, you could think trash. Right? You could think garbage. You could think manure. 
you could think, well, really what Paul's saying here, guys, honestly, what this text is saying is Paul, he's like building this emotion and energy as he's imagining the glory of Jesus Christ and how he's better in every way. And then he's examining all the world has to offer, bad theology and views of God, as well as every trinket and toy that we think might be better. And he's building this energy to where he comes and he says, all of that, it's rubbish. And he's using this four-letter word to describe manure, right? You get what I'm talking about here? Poop. Some of y'all weren't thinking poop. Mm-mm. Glad you're in church, y'all. Welcome. Right, but that's literally what he's referencing. He's building on, there's this prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 64. We're not going to turn there. Where he says, all of our righteous deeds are like polluted garments. You know what he means by a polluted garment? You might think clothes that need to be washed, something that had been in the laundry. It's not what he means. Right, and I'm going to tell you, biblically exactly what Isaiah means because he's trying to show how every form of us working our way to God because he's holy we can't polluted garment it's a used stay with me menstrual rag Isaiah just like Paul is using a word picture to point to things where we would say that there's no value in that I don't want that I don't desire that now And he's saying that's what it's like when we come and we try to create our own path to God, our own version, our own broken theology, where we combine what we're supposed to believe with what we're supposed to be. It's worthless. It's bad accounting. I can remember in college, I had an undergraduate business degree focused on finance. So I can remember towards the end, I'd kind of made a mess of my life through college. My final semester, second semester, senior year, I had to overload my classes if I wanted to graduate on time. Trust me, I had to graduate on time, right? I had a job waiting. I was so nervous. I had to overload. A class I had to take because of this was this investment banking class. If you don't know much about investment banking, essentially it's this foundation of accounting, and then on top of that, this like financial evaluation of companies, right? Here was the problem. I was absolutely terrible at accounting, Like, did you ever have a class, or maybe you're in a class right now if you're a student, where you go to it, and it doesn't really matter how hard you try. Like, it's just hard, and it doesn't really click. That was absolutely accounting for me. I could get the high level, right? I could read, if you know this, like, read a balance sheet. I couldn't build one, though. And this whole class, it was premised on build your own. Create the valuation. I'm failing the class. It comes towards the final, and I know basically like my one shot, because if I don't get this, I don't graduate on time. If I don't graduate on time, the job that I have waiting for me in Dallas, I can't go take that job, right? I have to basically pull out this Hail Mary, do well on this final. I was in that professor's office hours repeatedly. There finally came this point where this college professor, she'd been in the business world, she'd been super successful. I'm a second semester senior. I got all this coming. I'm trying so hard. I just, she just looked at me one week. She said, hey, John, you just need to know it's coming up right to the final, man. And I'm meeting with her, and I'm not getting any better. And she just said, hey, man, you just need to know if you just try hard, you'll be fine. And I can remember thinking, like, hey, that, that's kind of you, right? But I share with her, like, honestly, I'm trying really hard, and I'm failing, and it looks like I'm going to fail again. And then I don't know if you know this, like, I have this job waiting, and I can't graduate on time. Did I tell you I'm a second semester senior? And there's all this pressure. And she just leaned over. I don't even remember her name. One of the kindest moments ever. She just leaned over, and she grabbed my hand. No, 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 no. You don't understand. If you just keep trying hard, you'll be fine. Right? Like, to me, what she told me, because this is what happened, she said to me, don't go lazy. I'll pass you. And I can remember, like, every class in my business school, they graded on a curve, which in order to pass me meant she had to do something to somebody else. And I can remember just sitting there being like, oh, thank God. Did I believe in God? It was confusing at that point for me, right? It was super confusing. But it was one of those where I can remember like, oh, please, thank you, because I was going to fail. And why was I going to fail this major moment that had been building towards? Because I was terrible at accounting. What Paul is saying is that people spiritually have this tendency to be terrible accountants, terrible at evaluating things. Like the first category 
right? Like how you have a relationship with God where we think if we can do enough things, we can make ourselves clean enough to finally come. If we could just stop cussing, if we could be a better parent, if we could just stop looking at broken images, then he'll love us. Then we'll be good enough. No, that's terrible accounting. Or there's the accounting for people here who believe in Jesus, right? Where we come and we assess gain and loss, and we know there's a righteous call to it. But so many of us, like things I wrote down, we think that sexual impurity now is better than preserving intimacy in marriage. It's better than maintaining intimacy in marriage. We, we, we think, and man, I'm only saying all this stuff because like I get it. We think that, man, if we could get that new car with that new car payment, that's gonna bring more satisfaction and contentment and joy and happiness than like actually trusting God in sacrificial generosity, right? And I, I would be the best. I'd be like, well, I need it for the family. You know, it's real safe. It's got a warranty, bumper to bumper, all that, right? But we just create these valuations in our mind where again, we, we would wake up early for a round of golf, but man, we will hide behind. I'm just too busy to connect with God throughout the week for weeks and weeks, and months, and years. We have these valuations. We, we come and we fake peace, and we say that's what God wants because we're showing someone kindness. That's foolishness. Christians resolve conflict. We are biblical peacemakers. We have a broken value system. We come and we think, you know what God really wants? He wants me to look godly. He wants me to look godly. So I'm gonna try really hard to look godly. We put a high value on that. And what does God really want? He wants us to just be godly. Not in appearance, but in actuality. Where we can come and we hide behind like knowing about God. Like you can give all the right answers, man, and you put this high value on that, but when it comes to the reality of knowing him, we have broken accounting. Church, first thing we have to do is rightly decide. Jesus is better. And we do that when we understand the value of good, biblical, righteous counting. That's why this matters. So jump back in with me in your Bible. We're going to pick it up in verse 8, right? But we're going to read all the way verse 8 through 11. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrections, that I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. The second thing that Paul's gonna do here is he just reminds you and he reminds me, hey, Jesus is better. He's gonna show us the worth of Christ. It's surpassing, right? The worth of Christ, it's surpassing. This is the language we read previously, surpassing. We, we, we said it's incomparable. It's literally where you go to create an evaluation and to stack something up against another and you think there's pros and cons, but then you realize there's no comparison. There is one that is right. There is one that is good. There's one that is better. And what he does here that I love is he lists it out. He's gonna give us five different things where he says, this is what I mean by the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. The first one he's gonna say is the knowledge of Christ, the righteousness of Christ, the power of Christ, the glory of Christ, and the fellowship of Christ. Let me show you those from the text. The first one there, the knowledge of Christ, that's where he says right there in verse eight, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. This is why I love my Bible. This word knowing, it doesn't mean to just know about. It's not just an intellectual understanding. It means to actually know, to have a deep, intimate relationship. Paul's audience here, there would have been Greeks and there would have been Jews, right? Primarily Greeks, but some Jews still. Greeks, they would have read this word know, and here's what they would have connected it to. They would have connected it to, to pagan worship. So their gods, the people who knew these deities, 
were people that they viewed as having some special form of intimacy. There was kind of all the people who believed and then that person. What Paul's saying that these Greeks would have grasped is every Christian, every Christian has elevated intimacy, has real connection, real relationship. To Jews, this word know, right? In the, it's fun in the Septuagint, which is basically just a Greek version of your Old Testament. It connected with this Hebrew word yada. Yada means to know, but specifically it speaks to intimate love or the bond of love. He's talking about there, not just where you have this view of God, where so many of us, perhaps you walk down an aisle and you got fire insurance, but a relationship with God is something you know you're supposed to care about, but you don't really. He's saying, no, you can know God. Like my, my wife, Taylor, when we were dating, was the reason that I married her was because I could have told you, hey, she's um, this tall, her eyes are this color. I actually didn't realize her eye color until like two years into marriage, tremendously oblivious of that, right? Here's what she loves to eat. Here's what stresses her out. Here's what I enjoy. Here's how she makes me feel. I could have given you the whole stat sheet. That's absolutely not why I chose to marry her. It's because I got to know her. And the more I got to know her, the more I loved her. That's this type of no. That's the first form of surpassing worth of knowing Christ. The second one, he says, there is a righteousness from Christ. And this is one we, we've spent about two and a half weeks talking about this one. It's speaking to this, this word that we use of justification. It, it's speaking to how you and I become a Christian. We don't work for it because we believe we're made righteous. It's given to us. Guys, it speaks to this whole theme of unconditional love. One of the things that I love, even when it comes to staying on that theme of marriage, biblical marriage, it's not a contract. It's a covenant. Here's what I mean by that. A contract, especially in our culture, it says, I'll do this if you do this. It's quid pro quo. It's this for that. A biblical marriage covenant is I do. I will. I commit. Unconditional. That's why God says marriage is meant to be a reflection of my love. What that means for you and for me is because you have the righteousness of God, it means no matter the brokenness that you bring to your life, he will always, if you believe, he will always look at you and say, mine. That every time he sees you, despite your recurring dysfunction, every time he sees you, he sees through Christ. Because he sees through Christ, he sees the glory of his son and has a heart to always help, not look at you and say, get it together. The third thing that comes, and this is probably one of the, I think, most underrated for so many followers of Christ, especially if you grew up in the church, it's the power of Christ. He says that I may know him, and what? In the power of his resurrection. The greatest demonstration of the power of God was when God came back from the grave, defeating sin for all eternity. That's what Jesus Christ did. He was able to do that by the power of the Spirit. If you believe in him, here's what's true. The Holy Spirit indwells you, right? It means that you and I, we have the power of God within us. That power first comes in just the reality of we can have a relationship with God. But then that power, what I call it, it has overcoming power. Like there's no sin in your life that because of the power of God, you cannot overcome. That, we don't think that, right? Like imagine, what's the part of you, right, that you really wish you could change? Like your bad habits, your short temper, your sense that's not just critical, but you are overly critical and you just tear things down. Like your desire where you don't even mean to, but you are just consistently controlling. Or, or the part of you where you don't just worry, man, but you are wrecked by an anxiety of trying to control all the different spheres of your life rather than trusting God. Whatever that is, where you and I come and we have this like Christian platitude where we say, yeah, I know I can change and I know God will help me. But no, you really can change. And it's because he loves you. 
He always wants to help. There's no marriage that can't be redeemed. No amount of consumer financial debt that he can't figure out. Because here's what's true. Not only do you have the power, but the next one, you have the fellowship of Christ. He says there, another part of his surpassing worth is that I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. I love that, 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 may, that I may share. Your, your Bible, it may say, I have fellowship. It's speaking to this communal partnership, becoming like him in his death. Like a, a, mari- a, a couple that's been married a long time, you probably have this tendency to notice like over time they become more and more like each other. They're like strangely kind of start to like look like each other once they get really old too. Why? There's fellowship. There's a communal partnership. And yes, the context here he's saying is in the sufferings. One of the things that's true is if you're a follower of Christ, in this world you will have trouble. Like suffering doesn't mean that we don't mourn. But it means that in our morning, in the moment where you get the phone call that rips the world out and you felt like the bomb just went off in your family, in the moment where the person who you loved and trusted and had walls down around tells you something that immediately means they didn't love me, I couldn't trust them, and I should have had walls up. In the midst of every bit of the brokenness, the suffering, You're not alone in any of it. You have someone who's not only experienced more, but you have someone who so loves you, who so wants to continually allow you to get to know him, that there's fellowship in it. Where you become like him. And the final one, final one, is the glory of Christ. You see there, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. What Paul is speaking to is a future thing that'll happen. If you're a believer in Christ and you die before Christ comes back, right? you will go and you will be with God in spirit form. And then one day in the future, you will receive what's called a glorified body. It's your body made new. It's your body redeemed. It's your body glorified. What Paul's saying here is he's not doubting that future moment in his life. His language of that by any means necessary, I may attain. What what he's saying there is he's not doubting. He's showing this sense of desperation. He's showing this reality. There's going to be one day where even though Paul, he's writing all of this, he had the same problem we do. He didn't always think and live as if Jesus was better. He didn't always think and make the faithful or the righteous decision that he too, man, was beset with the flesh. And because of that, there was sin in his life. That he too had days where he ended the day and he's like, man, I wish I could get that back. Conversations with people where he meant to be kind and he came across as cruel. And it's this longing hope for one day, this beautiful surpassing worth. One day it's all gonna be fine. One day it'll all be made new. You'll not only see God face to face, but you have this beautiful divine life. You'll see friends You'll live in a new heavens, in a new earth. It's going to be amazing. What Paul is doing is he's reminding this church in Philippi, he's reminding himself, he's self-preaching why Jesus is better. He's telling you and he's telling me because he knows. Man, I so tend to forget that. I hide behind my own sense of independence. I hide behind my own sense of self-righteousness. I hide behind what for many people can be a false belief where we come and we say we know God, but in reality, we don't know him. You know about him, but you don't know him. That was me for close to 15 years of my life. And what's he trying to do? He's trying to show us in every way, Jesus is better. He showed us first by you gotta have a different form of accounting. Like if, you, if you're putting worth, if you're putting value on how good of a person you are, you missed it. You cannot earn a relationship with God. And if you get that and you're a Christian, but that does not resonate in your soul, if that's not the drum that you fight to beat every day to help you grow in godliness, you don't fully get it. I don't fully get it. The second thing he did is he showed us 
the worth of Christ, it's, it's surpassing. It is better than. But I think we have trouble doing that because I think for so many of us, we have trouble doing that because so many times the worth of Christ, him being better, it's intangible. Like we can't see it. Like, I, I, like there's times where I want to come and just totally check out, right? A bad day and emotionally cope by just destroying an absurd amount of fried chicken. It's true, man. It's coping. It's sin, right? Right? I, I got a ton of friends for the longest time. Like, you just smoke. Why? You want to manage stress. Stress kicks up. You grab a cigarette. You can do this with pornography. You can do this with cleaning your house. You can do this by doubling down and trying to accomplish more. We cope. And every time, he's wanting to come and in those moments, fight not to cope, but to yield my heart to Christ, to remind myself, no, he's better. He's better, John. He's better than this. He's better. And in the moments where it's intangible, like you can't see it, we take a step of faith. You know what God loves to do? Reward steps of faith. So even in the first moment where if you don't see God, I don't see how you're better than, right? Pushing sexual boundaries with my boyfriend because if I don't do that, I'm scared he might leave me or I like the affirmation that it gives me. Or, or one day I really wanna be married and this seems like the best way. Hey God, I don't fully see how you're better, right? When it comes to my family and finances, in, in finances, it's just a sign of trust. God, I know you're in control. I know I trust you with this, but really, God, I gotta hold that back. No, 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 God. I know that your word calls me to be righteous, that you call me to be loving and gracious and approachable, to talk to people with gentleness and respect. But hey, God, it really matters that they know how much I know. Hey, God, it really matters that they know what I can quote, where I can go in my Christian resume. You know what should get all of us on this? If Jesus is better, if we really believed it, we would tell everybody we knew. The server that you go to lunch with this afternoon, you'd fight, you'd lean past the awkwardness and say, hey, do you have a faith? Can I share with you about mine? The person in your cubicle beside you tomorrow morning, you'd start and you'd say, hey, can I just share with you something, something crazy? I know this is gonna sound really weird. I, I don't wanna be the really weird person, but man, this is something that's true for me. Here's what I love, here's what I believe. Our neighbors, we would like strategically find ways to invite them over for dinner, even though we don't want to, and our schedule's too busy, why? So we could tell them about Jesus. The people we walk up to on the streets, we would tell them about Jesus, why? He's better. And their bad accounting, we can still be foolish with. And their bad accounting is exactly how we used to do it. Jesus is better. I do want to finish with a story about my daughter, Lily. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. I do. Because, man, it just showed me this this past week. So, Lily, this was her first year to really trick-or-treat, right, to really do it. She's almost three, so she can walk on her own, basically. She can use the language of trick-or-treat. So we got her set up. She was a, a painter or an artist. My wife put her in this beautiful kind of headband. She had this painter's um, apron on. She had these paint brushes. She had these bedazzled painted shoes. She had this like a uh, painting canvas that she kind of mixed paints on all this stuff. She's walking around. We got her set up before we we're gonna leave. And my daughter's so excited. She's dressed up. She's a painter. And we get to go to leave. And my daughter starts to throw a fit, right? She starts to throw a fit because she wants to stay home and paint, <laughs> right? I honestly, I get why it was confusing. Right, she wants to stay home and she wants to paint. And so there I am and we have this kind of kitchen and mud room right before you get to the car. My goal is to get her to the car, in the car seat so we can go, right? And I'm in the mud room, so we're sort of there, not there. She breaks down and I'm looking at her. And literally, I always try to rationalize with a three-year-old, right? I'm looking at her and I'm saying, no, 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 sweetie, it's going to be better than that. You're gonna get to go see your friends. No, no, sweetie, it's going to be better than that. You're gonna to get to make new friends. My daughter, total extrovert, loves meeting people. She starts shy, comes out of her shell. I look at her, no, no, Lily, you're gonna get candy, which my house, we used to like never do candy because processed sugar. I know I don't look that way, right? My wife cares about that, right? But Lily, she's gonna get candy, it's a big deal. So I'm leading with candy and then I look at her and said, hey, no, 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 
you're going to get to stay up past your bedtime. Right? And Lily, she's still throwing a fit to where finally it's like, get in the car. And I just pick her up, come, throw in a car seat. We come and we go out. I guarantee y'all, sincerely, sincerely, no one had more fun Thursday night than my Lily. We went around. She made more friends. She hung out with her buddy AJ. We went door to door, back and forth. She'd hold my wife's hand. She would run to these doors with these tiny little legs. She'd run up. She would go trick or treat. They'd give her this candy. She just thought it was the coolest thing. We're giving her bits of candy. Kind of as she go, she goes to the next house, like halfway before we're walking. And she overhears us talking about, hey, should we start to head back? And Lily, just out of nowhere, says, no, no, more houses. And so what do we do? More houses. We finally come to where it's about 8.15. It's getting late for her. She's falling off the edge by then, right? And we come and we bring her back home. She had this amazing time. We're coming back. We get in the house. We take off the painter's robe. We do all this stuff. We're coming back in. And she turns and she like looks at me and Taylor. And I swear, she just looks at us and there's this pause. And she just says, that was so fun. Guys, there's no way, no way if I'd let her do what she wanted, she would have had that much fun. I know that, that, that that's probably some like um, demonstration but man, here's what I'm telling you. We absolutely settle for staying home at painting when there is far more. Not just in the relationship with God, but life itself, where we, we stop and we forget that he really is better. We, we think that it's better to try and work our way to him, where you come in because of a broken framework from childhood or present day. You think if you could just change some things in you, you'd finally get there. That's not it, man. That's loss. It's rubbish. And we think, even those of us who know him, we think, no, nah, man, if I could get that house, that relationship, that status, or, or that level of comfort, that level of ease, it would be better. We started by talking about how what happened if all of us really felt he's better. How would we be different as a people? How would this community be different? Church, it's all true. Even if you don't see it, take a step of faith. Jesus is always better. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for that truth, just for what it's meant in, in my life. And I pray that it would become more and more true that I, that you would throughout this past week and these upcoming weeks, man, you just convict me in every moment where I'm tempted to not come and value you, but value me and what I want. Would you do that for the people of God here? Would you do that for those who call themselves followers of you to where even when we can't see how you're better, we'd take a step of faith and you'd show up? I thank you that you've come. And because of you, we don't put confidence in the flesh. I thank you for that you've come. We count everything is lost compared to the surpassing worth of knowing you. Help us to have better accounting. You are better. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, y'all, hey, if any of y'all want to come and check out a newcomer's class, we'll be there in room A on the other side of McKenna. But man, we really do want to say thanks for coming. And y'all go. Have a great week of worship. We'll see you next Sunday.